This is Texas Rangers announcer Eric Nadell, and you're listening to the Ranger Report podcast, as you should be. This is the Ranger Report podcast. News, insights, predictions, interviews, and information about the Texas Rangers from the major leagues to the minor leagues. And now, here are your hosts, Ben Dieter and C.J. Berryman. Experience the joy of watching your friends and family's faces light up when you feed them wild game you harvested and made them delicious sausages. Or meat you barbecue and grill with the finest seasonings available. Visit our friends at Waltons.com to find everything you need to turn wild game into tasty meat snacks or spice up your barbecue with new flavors and seasonings. With over 500 seasonings to choose from, there's something that everyone will love. They even have step-by-step videos and how-to articles at Meatistics to help you go from animal to edible. Use coupon RANGERS15 at checkout to save 15% on your first order at Waltons.com. Waltons, everything but the meat. Welcome to the Ranger Report podcast, everybody. We are excited today to be joined by Matt Hicks from the Rangers Radio Network. Matt, how are you today? I'm great, and uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Yes, the honor sir. is all here, sir. The honor is all here. So we, we were we were just talking about before we started, before you came on, that we've now had you, Eric, and Jared Sandler. So we pretty much got the whole radio booth on the show now. <laughs> that's, that's good. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm fine with sliding in third there. Those two guys are great. I uh, love working with them on a daily basis during the season. Yeah, I figured we had to get Zach Wolchuk at some point, too, and then we'll, we'll round it all out. And go. then grooves. And then and grooves. Then grooves yeah. yeah. They're all, all right. fun. They're all great guys. They are. All right. Well, we wanted to start asking you to talk a little bit about you because Ranger fans may not know. They've heard you on the radio now for almost a decade, but they may not know about how you got into what you do. So I wanted to ask you, how did you get into broadcasting, and was it always something that you kind of wanted to do? So I guess there's a number of ways I can answer that, but maybe the uh, maybe the best way to answer it is back in 1972, when I was 11 years old, um, a friend of mine and I, we were both in sixth grade, and we we uh, we were living in the, the suburbs of Washington D.C. And both of us were enamored with not just all sports, but with sports broadcast, and so. I said to my friend, I said, hey, why don't we take my tape recorder and just turn down the sound on the Super Bowl and go ahead and record us doing play-by-play of the Super Bowl. And if you guys- I can't tell you how many times I've done that, Matt. I've done the same thing. <laughs> well, well I, w- I was in the sixth grade and I've now realized my friend and I, we were growing up in the suburbs of B.C. and... I don't recall my friend being a Washington football fan, but I was because my dad was, uh, he was a, 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 an usher for those football games back then. And this was before they hired George Allen and they got really, really good. Um, and so the attendance wasn't always the uh, greatest. But anyway, um, my friend and I thought, let's do some play-by-play and, and, and see what happens. And so my dad was gracious enough to let us sit in our living room. We got the copy of the Washington Post and the rosters for Super Bowl VI, which was the Dallas Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins. And n- neither one of us had any kind of um, affinity for either of those teams. But 
you know, we studied the rosters and we split it up. I did two quarters. He did two quarters. And I still have that cassette tape. I still have those two cassette tapes, but I haven't translated them into something where I can listen to them. I'm probably going to get that done here sooner rather than later, although I've had it for the longest time. But I knew back then that it was something that I wanted to do. And so there wasn't really an avenue for that either in junior high school or high school, although in high school I did morning and afternoon announcements. And so I was involved in getting behind the mic there. And then it really ramped up when I went to college at the University of Maryland because they had and still do have a student-run radio station on campus, an AM and an FM station. While I was there in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, the station got its FM license. And so I, uh, I had to get an FCC license to go on the air. We did sports broadcasting on both AM and FM. And I did a variety of sports, and I eventually became the sports director. Um, quick side note, uh, when I was the sports director, one of the uh, individuals that I brought on to be uh, on our sportscasting team was a guy from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, who uh, would later go on to do work in minor league baseball, but then eventually made it to the state of Texas and did a lot of work on TV for the San Antonio Spurs. And he's now the voice of Texas A&M football and basketball, uh, Andrew Monaco. And so uh, I've known uh, him going all the way back to college. But we had, I had the opportunity to do play-by-play of a number of sports. And then graduating from the University of Maryland, I got a job right out of college in small market radio in Cambridge, Maryland. You guys probably have never heard of that. It's an eastern shore town on the Choptank River. We're just, still trying to figure out where all the Texas cities are. It's so <laughs> huge. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that takes forever. 254 counties, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. So, so uh so I got my first job in radio right out of college in Cambridge. That was a station that was on the University of Maryland network. And at the time, um, Maryland's football coach uh, was Bobby Ross. And I don't uh, know if you know him, but uh, he yes, sir. a number of teams uh, in college and also coached in the NFL. Bobby was gracious enough to, uh, because I had done a show with him when I was in college, he was gracious enough to allow me to do a show exclusively with him on our radio station in Cambridge. But I had the opportunity to do both news and sports broadcasting there at that small mom and pop AM FM station. And then I had a number of other jobs before I got into baseball. Uh, in 1989, uh, I got hired by a radio station in Frederick, Maryland, which is about an hour west of Baltimore to uh, do their new ball club. They had just gotten a minor league team, the Frederick Keys, who had moved from Hagerstown, Maryland, and the radio station was hiring the play-by-play announcer. And so I, I put my uh, my two cents in. I got hired, worked for the radio station to do those games. I eventually parlayed that into a full-time job at that radio station. And the guy that was responsible for outreach from Mount St. Mary's College in Emmitsburg, Maryland, had heard me do baseball play-by-play. He wanted the Mount St. Mary's men's team to have full every game coverage on a network. And so he worked with us to get that set up. And so for a while there, I was doing um, baseball for five months. And then for another four or five months, I was doing uh, men's basketball and eventually women's basketball at Mount St. Mary's. And if you don't know about Mount St. Mary's, uh, that's where Jim Phelan uh, was the longtime head coach 
Uh, he was, uh, they were a division two power. Uh, they had just gone division one the year before I joined them in 89, 90. Um, so I, I, I had an opportunity to do quite a bit of play by play there when I was in Frederick and then from, from Frederick, uh, my next job in baseball was moving to El Paso, Texas, uh, to, uh, work for the then Diablos who were an affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. The El Paso Diablos. Yep. And I got, I got hired by them. And so now they're the, now they're the Chihuahuas. Yeah. So back then we were double A, an affiliate of Milwaukee. I got hired by Jen and Karen Paul to do their play-by-play. And so that was the first time I worked for a baseball team. Actually, the guy I replaced was Matt Vazgersian, who is now on the MLB network, of course, and he does uh, a lot of work for them. And he's their main play-by-play voice. He also now is one of the play-by-play voices of the Angels. But uh, I replaced Matty V back in 19... 95 would have been my first season in El Paso. Then from El Paso, I went to Corpus Christi uh, for that startup team in 2005, the AA affiliate of the Houston Astros working then for Ryan Sanders baseball. And it was uh, in Corpus Christi was where I was with the Rangers uh, called me back in 2012. So that's a, a quick overview of of how I got in going from sixth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You summed it up pretty well. And uh, so obviously you did some high school football and also some hockey. So other than baseball, what was you, what, what was, or is your favorite sport to call? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I can put the favorite title on it. When you're working, and when you've got the headset strapped on and you're getting paid to do it, those are my favorite, uh, whatever I'm doing. <laughs> um, but I'll say this, that the easiest for me is basketball. Um, I think the speed. The easiest? The easiest would be basketball. Matt, basketball was my, it's always <laughs> been my most difficult, man. Really? How did, well, the, the reason that I, the reason that I think that it's the easiest for me is, is that, it's not as fast as hockey. Um, when you when you're doing ice hockey, you have to edit as you go along. And to me, that's a skill that requires experience. And the more experience you have, the better at it you get because you can't possibly describe everything that's happening on the ice. But you can come pretty close to describing what's happening just about everything on the basketball court. You might have to edit a little bit, but you never really have any downtime. And I was I was really fortunate. Yes, I. I've done a ton of high school basketball and football. I've even done um, not necessarily high school baseball, but American Legion baseball. I've done little league baseball. And uh, those can be some very challenging things because you really don't have, uh, you have to do all the prep work. And it's, you know, it's not like major league baseball where you have so much of the work that uh, is already prepared for you. But for me, uh, doing college basketball was probably the easiest for me. And I had a great deal of fun those six years that I was at Mount St. Mary. All six years I did the men. For three of the six years I did the women. And just going to the practices, preparing for those games, and broadcasting those games. I had a terrific broadcast partner during my time there, um, a gentleman by the name of Roy Sigler, um, who had been a head coach at Boston University. Um, for their basketball program. And when he left, Rick Pitino took over. Um, Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Roy was, Roy was made for basketball uh, analysis work 
he was so good at it. And we developed such a good chemistry of me, you know, at him making a point about a play or why that offensive play worked or why it didn't work, what sort of defense Mount was getting into. He was able to condense and distill his thought into the type of time frame that allowed me to pick up the play-by-play when it was important. So I didn't necessarily have to talk about the guy bringing the ball up the court on the dribble, what it was he was looking to do. When the play got serious, Roy got quiet. I was able to describe the play when it was done. He was able to, and he always had this sense of enthusiasm about him um, so that the broadcast just always seemed to be getting better and better. And so I really cherish the six years that I had the opportunity to work with Roy and, and uh, Coach Phelan and all the good folks uh, back in Emmitsburg. So to, to me, that was a great deal of fun. But I can say this, I've, I've never had the opportunity to do NBA basketball, but I have had the opportunity uh, when I was much younger to uh, go courtside at the then Washington Bullets game and do some play-by-play courtside. And there is a, quite a bit of difference between Division One basketball and the NBA in terms of speed. And so I think when you're doing the NBA, you know, kudos to all of those guys because the game is so much faster that they do have to edit uh, as they go along. But yeah, for me, basketball is the easiest. Baseball has always been a challenge because of all the dead time. Um, football, I really enjoy doing, uh, especially if you have somebody that's uh, good to work with, because um, if you if you memorize all of the skill position players' numbers and, and uh, whatever you can do to memorize, uh, then calling football play-by-play, I think, is, is uh, very enjoyable. But I've always found baseball to be the most challenging. Yeah. And, and you, unfortunately, this past year, you had to go through 102 losses. So there's a lot of dead air there. And Eric Nadell, when he got on with us about a month ago, he said uh, he learned diversionary tactics. And that's that's where uh, you and, and Jared Sandler come in to kind of, you know, continue to appease the audience, I guess, and, and keep people listening. So, I mean, those have to be difficult games. So talk about that a little bit. You know, those, you know, when the, when the game is going great, I mean, you can sit there and you can brag on the team and brag on somebody so-and-so and how well they're doing or how well they're pitching or whatever. But when the game is going badly and you know about the five, fifth or sixth inning that uh, things are not going well, um, y'all have a great dynamic. So just kind of talk about how that dynamic works. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think that all emanates from Eric because he's been doing it for such a long time and he's had the opportunity to call some great Ranger seasons and some really bad Ranger seasons and a lot of seasons that are in between. So you can't replace that experience for knowing where to take the listener based upon what's happening in the game. And you're right, TJ, you're in the fifth or sixth inning and you're down 10 to one. You really can't concentrate so much on the game and on the pitch by pitch but when a new pitcher comes in or when somebody is coming in off the bench as a position player and you can talk a little bit about their story then those diversionary tactics are you giving the listeners some interesting information about the people that are coming into the game or about what a pitcher who may not have done well what it is that the club is looking for from him um, what he needs to improve on, where he needs to go. Uh, you might even t- 
tell stories about, uh, you know, if you know stuff about these guys' families or, or some interesting tidbits about them coming up in baseball, that's when you're able to, to use that sort of stuff. And then, you know, there's other things going on in the world of baseball. So you might take some time to talk about some of the other pennant races or the upcoming opponent or, you know, how the Rangers uh, pitching rotation is going to be altered. There's so many different things. Um, that you can discuss. And then, you know, sometimes the diversionary tactics just go completely away from baseball <laughs> and into, into something that might be uh, historic for that particular day, or you might get off on a tangent that's not baseball, or Jared might start commenting about my dad's shoes and, and <laughs> go off on that tangent where he starts talking about how I dress and then, uh, used to be that I would start making fun of where he went to college, but I can't do that. <laughs> the same He's now. a USC Trojan. We can yeah. make fun of him on this podcast, so, Maddie. I think there's, I think I, the, the big thing, I think um, when you're talking about broadcasting games, that the game itself doesn't hold interest. Eric every day. And I really admire um, how he goes about preparing for a game every day. Eric, on a daily basis, comes to work and says to himself, what about this game is interesting to me? But more than that, what about this game would be interesting to the listener? What about the people that are playing in the game tonight would be interesting to the listener? So let me find those things and let me line them up what is going to be interesting to the listener today if the game takes over and if we've got a four to three game going into the eighth inning, then all of that preparation for the diversionary tactics goes by the wayside. And you don't know how much work Eric put in or I put in or Jared put in to stuff that never gets on the air and the game ends up being great. And it's, it's beautiful because that's what we want. But on those occasions when it's not like that, then that's, I think, where Eric has really been able to shine through over the years, because in his mind, he puts the listener first. And then by keeping the listener in mind, that guides his preparation. And so watching him do that throughout the years has sort of helped me to better prepare for each broadcast. And Jared's unique because he grew up as a kid listening to Eric. And so he's got that perspective. And then watching him work as well, he too has picked up a lot of that. And so I think that that, that helps because now we're all on the same page, or at least we're trying to be on the same page uh, as Eric on a nightly basis. Yeah. And, and Eric, one thing he told us that was most interesting is that they don't pay you all to do the games. They pay you to do the preparation. That's true. There's no question about that because I, you know, a lot of people wonder, well, you guys got a great job. You, got, you work from seven to 10 or 10 30 and you know, <laughs> three, three and a half hours of work. That, ain't, that ain't how that happens. I can totally de debunk that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because we'll, we'll get to work for a seven o'clock game for a home game. Um, usually by around three and then spend most of that time between three and about six 30 preparing for the game. Um, if schedules are normal, then we'll take a little bit of a break before the game starts to eat while the pregame show is on. We tape the pregame show in advance. Y'all don't eat in the booth? Come on now. Get you, get you a dollar dog on Wednesdays, man. So 
Some, <laughs> sometimes we'll eat in the booth. And here in the last two years because of COVID, yeah. um, we've been eating in the booth almost exclusively, if we eat at all. Now, Eric and Jared are a little, are a little different than me. Uh, they're, they're pretty good about eating right before the game. I'm not so good about that because it bothers me from a physical standpoint in my throat. So a lot of times I won't eat at all. Uh, before a game, I might eat right before I come to work, sort of a late lunch uh, kind of thing. But um, going over to the new ballpark, I can't think uh, there's not been one time that I have eaten in the uh, media kitchen or in the media dining room. I haven't done it once. Uh, it used to be that we would we would eat, you know, 2019 and prior, we would eat in the media dining room and talk with other people and exchange information and whatnot. But uh, for the last few seasons, that uh, that hasn't happened. But anyway, our preparation doesn't uh, start when we get to the ballpark at three o'clock. I think for all of us, when we get up in the morning, um, the Rangers do this uh, really nice thing for us. They gather uh, a series of clips of all of the articles that have been written about the ball club for that day. And so we have an opportunity to get up in the morning and read that and then do our own prep. And sometimes, you know, I'll start my prep for the next day immediately after the game at the ballpark where, you know, I've got my laptop and I can go online and I can update some of my dailies and get that done while it's fresh on my mind immediately after the game. And then the next day, read those clips, do other reading before I have lunch at home or go out to lunch and then get to the ballpark and then start that cycle all over again. And then it's the same on the road. If we're on the road someplace uh, for a seven o'clock game, I, you know, our, when we get to the ballpark is often dictated by the bus schedule, but because of COVID, uh, instead of having two buses going to a ballpark, uh, sometimes we've had four or five so that there'll be fewer people on the bus. So that makes it easier to get to the ballpark when you want to. But in general, we try to get there three and a half to four hours before game time. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, well, you know, probably think that you guys just wing that stuff, but that would be almost impossible during a game like that to just wing that kind of stuff. Cause I'm telling you, and, and I honestly like, I listen to you guys a lot because I'm usually out and about or, you know, when I get home, it's just enjoyable to listen to it. Plus, it's hard to find Valley Sports Southwest these days. But anyway, but listening to you guys on the radio is just fun. And you guys, I mean, you guys do uh, such a great job. And again, you know, all the prep that goes into that shows because it's even when they're down 10 to 1, it's still entertaining to listen to you guys on the radio. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And, and again, I think uh, Eric deserves a lot of the credit for that and, and the way he prepares when you think about it. Um, you know, he, he got the Ford Frick award back in 2014 and it, he just decided to show up and, and just, you know, lace them up and bring out the scorebook at 6:45 and start writing stuff in. That'd be okay. But he doesn't do that. And he hasn't done that. He continues to prepare on a daily basis like he always has. And, um, so, uh, when, uh, when the chief, uh, is doing that, uh, you've got to fall in line. And, uh, it, but it, even saying it that way, it's just such a pleasure to work with him. Um, you know, I think that uh, we're friends away from the broadcast as well. Um, and so, and, and we have a lot of other common interests. Um, I think, uh, you know, Eric is so musically inclined yeah. um, and goes to so many concerts. I'm, I'm not quite the concert goer that he is. But um, we can talk about music. We can talk about other sports. We can talk about other things that are going on in the world. And so there's never um, there's never a time when we're at work if we're not preparing that, that, that we don't have a conversation about 
you know, something that's going on in the world at that time. So you mentioned Nate Hill. Yeah, he's he's a big music guy. Uh, and he actually, when he was on with us, turned me on to a, a Texas blues artist that's out of the DFW, and that is Abraham Alexander. And we are actually going to have him on the podcast tomorrow. Okay. So what do you think about Abraham and, and, and what he brings to the table? See, and I don't, and when it comes to artists like that, I just don't know these artists like Eric does. And it's amazing. <clears throat> oh, he's got a, he's got a Rolodex of just, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It, it's, it's amazing how many people he knows, not just in the sports industry, but how many people he knows in the music industry. It's amazing when we go on the road before COVID, we would have a constant stream of people that would come and be visitors in our booth. And most of them are from the music world. Um, people who are musicians, people who are authors. Um, it's, it's, it's funny. We kind of joke a little bit. Uh, there's so many people that Eric still knows from his time in elementary school in Brooklyn. <laughs> who have gone on to accomplish great things. One of my, um, one of my favorite stories uh, about Eric and the people he knows uh, was a time that the, we were eating in the media dining room at Fenway Park. And it was one of those deals we had both uh, finished. Uh, there were a couple of other people at the table with us, but they had to get to work. So they got up and left. And there was that awkward moment, a very rare, awkward moment when Eric and I were sitting there. We talked about everything we want to talk about for the game. And there's this silence of about five or 10 seconds. And right in the middle of the table, as is the case with all the tables, there are an assortment of condiments. And Eric reaches for this mustard jar and he holds up this mustard jar. It's gold mustard. And he looks at it and he says to me, the guy that started this gold mustard business, uh, I went to elementary school. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? He know it. There's a condiment sitting on the table, and he went to school with the guy that started. <laughs> Does he and know I'm, who made salt and pepper? Apparently, I'm, like, I'm like Eric. Is there anybody that you don't know? Um, it, it's truly amazing how many people he knows, and that is that is one of um, the many great things about Eric Nadell is how he has maintained contact with so many people throughout the years, and so. It's not surprising to me when, when he says, oh, this particular musician who maybe I haven't heard of because they're not they're not a popular musician or they're not a musician for me or from the 80s, 90s, yeah. you, you know, artists that I would listen to that were are more popular. Um, he knows these people. They, they're actual friends of his. And so <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun to be able to, on occasion, go to concerts with him and see some of these artists I've never even heard of before. I've never heard their music and and have an opportunity to enjoy that kind of music. And so yeah. with Abraham, I, I, I don't know him. I don't know his music, but I would certainly because, uh, you know, Eric turned you on to him. I would certainly be interested in listening to his stuff. Well, I'm going to sing with him tomorrow. Uh Oh, there you go. I'm going <laughs> to sing with him. I, I can sing. And so yeah. me and me and Abraham have already agreed and we're going to do a duet. Uh, to one of his songs yeah that'll be cool all right well before we wrap it up i always like to ask this when we have guests on what is a hobby or something you like to do outside of baseball that rangers fans don't really know about Ooh, 
I mean, most uh, most players say golf. So, <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna default to that because I'm I am not a golfer. But here recently, my wife and I have been going quite frequently to Top Golf, um, and we've gone to a number of Top Golf locations, not just in the Metroplex but elsewhere. And we try to do it at least once or twice a month. Um, so that's something that. Um, we've we've sort of gotten into here and that's just been in the last year or so um but i would say that for me um something that i've done throughout my life is play chess um and i oh, think yeah. probably some of our listeners know about that i used to um when i when i kept up my uscf uh membership i used to play in tournaments um that was prior to joining the Rangers in major league baseball, when I had a little more time in the off season to do that sort of thing. Um, the most recent tournaments that I played in, I played in when I was working for Corpus Christi. Um, so I think the last actual tournament that I played in would have been sometime in 2011 or 2012. Uh, but I kind of try to keep up with the uh, chess world. And for a while, when my son was in elementary school, I was a coach at his elementary school. So uh, anytime anybody wants to talk chess or play chess, I uh, I get into it. I play chess with some of the guys. I'll be your Huckleberry. What's that? <laughs> I said I'll be your Huckleberry. I, I was in the chess club until I was sixteen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, I was in, when I was in junior high, chess was huge in the United States because Bobby Fischer yep just defeated Boris Spassky for the nineteen seventy two world title. And the yep. years when I was in junior high was 73, 74, 75. And so all junior highs and high schools basically had chess teams pop up then. And we had a we had a really good one. In my final year in junior high, we went unbeaten. I went to the county tournament. I almost represented the county in the, a national tournament. I was I was one position shy of doing that. Um, and then by the time I got to high school, it kind of fizzled out. And so we didn't have a we didn't have a chess club in high school, but, uh, but you know, so many people got into it with uh, the advent of Bobby Fisher. And I think here in recent years, there's been a lot of kids across the country that have gotten into it. Um, I follow what goes on at the top level of chess. You know, Magnus Carlsen here not too long ago defended his uh, title uh, as world champion. I think it's the fifth time he's uh, defended his title. So I, I, I kind of follow what's going on there, but I wouldn't necessarily um, call it a hobby. But then, um, you know, my wife and I are both big hockey fans. So we're, we're both Stars fans. We follow the Stars. My wife is from Buffalo. So she's a, a big Sabres fan. Mm. And, she, and she's also a big Bills fan. So with the Bills, <laughs> we're going to do the whole Buffalo thing for the game against the Patriots. It's the Patriots that they're playing, right? I think. Yep. I believe so. so Cowboys well, are playing the 49ers too. So it's like, yeah. it's like the early nineties all over again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but we're going to do the whole Buffalo thing. We're going to get uh, chicken wings. We're going to get beef on weck, and uh, we're going to try to root the bills on to, uh, to victory. this weekend. All right. So last question, this one's the hardest one. You are on the hot seat, Matt. <laughs> what is your go-to at Whataburger? All right, so my for Whataburger, I concentrate on breakfast. And so my go-to at Whataburger would be a breakfast on a bun with sausage. 
that would be my Whataburger go-to. That is delicious. Yep. Yeah, we we a lot a lot of players that we've talked to. We asked that question. Most of them say the honey butter chicken biscuits honey is their go-to for, biscuit. breakfast, for breakfast. I can tell you, I can tell you that my son's go-to is the I might not know the name of it, but it's the barbecue chicken strip sandwich. I barbecue think. Yep. chicken strip sandwich. Yep. And so when he came back for the holidays from USC, the first thing he wanted to do was to go to Whataburger and get that sandwich. <laughs> so I took him. Smart nice. boy. Smart boy. Yeah, he, he knows his roots. He knows his <laughs> roots. Well, Matt Hicks, we really appreciate your time tonight. Guys, thank you very much. I enjoyed talking. Thanks for listening to the Ranger Report podcast. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and at therangerreport.com.